Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are providing our economic outlook for the US economy. The US is the world's largest economy and how it performs most certainly has an impact on markets around the world and will definitely have an impact on your hip pocket. We'll explore a bullish, bearish and neutral case, give you an idea of where our view sits so that you can lay out the pieces on your chessboard to make sure you get the most profit in your trading account from the opportunity that sits ahead. As always, make sure you take plenty of notes, but more importantly, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Renshaw. Good to be here, AB. Thanks very much for having me. And following on from our Outlook series, we've mm. done the AU 2024 Outlook. Time to parlay that in now to the US Outlook for 2024. And gee whiz, there's a lot going on in that market over there. Oh, mate, it's, uh, it certainly is. I mean, last year was one for the books for the US. We had an incredible performance from the equity market. Um, you know, ballpark around about 40% out of the NASDAQ and about 20% out of uh, the S&P, which obviously put a lot of super Annuation funds to shame in terms of the poultry returns for investors here, but where too? We've got a, an enormous year because it is also uh, an election year. Uh, we've got the US presidential elections in a few months' time later this year, and uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see um, how the twists and turns of the campaign impact upon the market. And obviously, the net result of that election will have a fairly dramatic and immediate impact on markets too, depending on, of course, what the outcome is. That's right, and I think you know little do investors realize there's so much coming out of the US in terms of data flow. Mm -hmm. Every single month we get an inflation figure, we get a PPI figure, whereas here in Australia, we're only blessed once a quarter. So mm -hmm. a lot more to decipher over there. But look, let's use the same structure that yep. we did when we spoke about Australia. So we'll go through a bullish, a bearish and a neutral case using our if then because. For sure. And uh, do you know, I think in, in many respects, that contrast between the Australian and US outlooks. If you think about the earnings cycle is six monthly in Australia, it's quarterly in the US. And I think those regular touch points mean that you can be more orderly in the actions that you need to take. And probably the most important one of those, of course, has been inflation, which has been the uh, the central conversation uh, amongst you know, the Fed uh, chairman particularly, but what mar markets were really focused on last year too, we've had inflation you know, really move up at a spectacular rate and has been gradually grinding lower on the back of the Fed's pretty aggressive interest rate policy. Indeed. So let's start with our bullish case in that sense. So touching on that conversation, mm. let's assume that inflation comes back down to target. Now, that would also be on the caveat that unemployment remains steady. Mm. If that's the case, i.e. inflation at target, unemployment steady where it's at, about 3.7% at the time of this recording, that could mean that the Federal Reserve cut rates much earlier than what we initially anticipated. That's right. I mean, inflation is a very difficult problem to fix. Um, you can initially see some some direct measures, some interest rate rises, uh, but it's kind of like a limpet clinging to a rock. That last little bit of nudge to get it off requires a Herculean effort. And you know, the Fed have done a very, very good job. I think Jerome Powell's commentary to markets and the action steps that they've taken, which has been a lot of initially aggressive and then gradually softer moves uh, has uh, has been well received from the market, definitely from a financial markets perspective, at least. And, you know, it is moving back toward target. I suspect you might just see a little bit of a stubborn uh, lag uh, from that inflation. If it does drop away, then definitely we see interest rate cuts earlier than expected. 
for what it's worth, I think we're probably not going to see with the economic data we've got in front of us today, I don't think we're going to see anything too early in the first half of the year. I think it's more likely to be at the halfway point for the year because I think it's it's one of those things as a central banker, it's very difficult, we've talked about this before, where you're making decisions on retrospective data and the decision you make today, you see no impact for from yeah, probably two months. So it's a very, very tricky thing to, to use older data and not see a result of your action. And so if they cut too early, and then you see a little bit of a, 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 a chop back up in inflation again, you may need to then reverse it. And you know, it, central banks don't like chopping and changing the trend of interest rates that much. So it's gonna be one that there's no magic pill. I guess you know, Jerome Powell's been exceptional in terms of threading the needle with what he's done to date. Uh, and this may well be the crowning glory of this rate cycle if they get the timing right where inflation comes down, as you say, employment stays reasonably strong, and the US isn't heading into recession. It's not even heading for a soft landing. It's business as usual, and the economy keeps chugging, would be a brilliant, brilliant outcome from a central banker perspective. And of course, it would be a brilliant outcome from the world's largest economy, because that does affect everybody in every single way. So to dive into that a little bit deeper, AB, so say we do get rate cuts, which Mm. means that for our listeners out there, interest rates come down lower. That means then that the cost of borrowing is less. Would that then result in higher borrowing rates, of course, on behalf of businesses, Mm. greater consumer spending, and therefore more economic expansion? Yeah, I think all of those things stand true. Um, Those higher rates, and it's an important one to acknowledge, don't just affect Joe Bag of Donuts that has a mortgage. It affects business borrowing, which slows down uh, capital expenditure, uh, uh, infrastructure spending, all of those different things. And if the cost of borrowing is starting to go in a trend, because it's not just an interest rate cut, it's the start of a trend lower, uh, then that does provide uh, business with the opportunity to go, okay, well, let's start to gear up now and, 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 and take advantage of the expansionary cycle that we're likely to be in. So it is very, very significant. Unlike Australia, and again, this is something we've spoken to plenty of times in this podcast, certainly last year, is that the majority of US homeowners and the US learned an awful lot from the GFC, which we seem to have missed here in Australia, probably because we didn't get the pain, or certainly not in the same way that the US did, is the notion that so many mortgages are on a 30-year fixed rate. And so those moves up in interest rates haven't really massively affected the cost of borrowing if you own a house because it's fixed. What it has done is slow down the transactions within the property market because the cost of refinancing at maybe six or 7% versus a 30 year fixed at maybe two and a half percent is a massively material difference. You can kind of tough it out in the current uh, residence if that be the case. And so I suspect you might then start to see a little bit more activity in the property market uh, as you start to see some movement there. Uh, And that's likely to propel property prices higher, which as we well know is a wealth effect, which then goes on to uh, affect people's consumer spending, for example. So these are all knock-on effects of an interest rate decision. And and then we get higher consumer spending and and greater earnings growth too out of the Back to inflation again. That's right, back to inflation again. (laughs) you know, that's the cycle we're in, but it, it does move that way. And and you're right, that sort of thing, and it's a really important point you've just flagged there, is is that additional spending and the impact that then has on earnings growth because, you know, something like 55, 60% of the US economy is orientated around consumer spending and consumer sentiment. So if you have slower consumer spending, then that will create the doldrums for the economy. Uh, if you've got a consumer that's happy to spend more money because their wealth effect has increased, then by gee, you know, the ability for, for companies to start introducing earnings growth that, that maybe hasn't come from cost cutting uh, becomes 
a far more realistic proposition. Also means you know a nice run in bonds as opposed to bond yields, which we're well positioned for already. We're anticipating that's what the the shape of things will look like in the new year. So you know the likes of TLT, or for those that have got the appetite for for some gearing, TMF, the triple geared U.S. Treasury, twenty year Treasury, absolutely brilliant uh, opportunities. Rates get cut to to really watch those prices, not grind higher, but really move up quite quickly. Indeed. Let's flip the coin over now. Let's go through the bearish case. So let's make the assumption that the inflation remains stubbornly high. Inflation's high, interest rates therefore remain high, if not go higher, mm-hmm. and we see higher unemployment. What's then the result of that, AB? Yeah, look, that's that's obviously not the ideal outcome by any stretch insofar as having a slowing uh, economy that does then drift into a recession um, is not fun. You know, you've got to get the defibrillators out to restart the economy, which you know, under current economic theory would be to print more money, which is inflationary, um, is, is not really what you want at all. And you could end up in you know a, a fairly dire situation on the back of that. So, you know, that notion of a, a stronger for longer interest rate curve and, and, and sticky inflation well, it has the opposite effect. It keeps consumer spending slow and slowing. It reduces companies' desire to want to bar- borrow to expand because they're less certain about the future. Uh, it results in lower earnings growth or no earnings growth, which then knocks on to a revaluation of stocks and a lower price within your equity market. So that's kind of the thread if you sort of pull it through the needle and extend it out. And a weaker equity market, um, look, personally speaking, I think the US equity market has been overvalued versus the outlook. But if we see those scales tip where the outlook does become more bullish, it justifies valuation levels where they're at. If that doesn't happen, I think there is scope for a reasonable pullback in equity prices, share prices in the US for people. And that's something to be to be quite minded of. Again, though, if we look at the stellar gains that we talked of at the start of this this interview, Mitch, you know that forty percent out of the Nasdaq, that twenty percent out of the S and P, has been driven by actually a very very small number of stocks. I think you know Nvidia was probably one of the stellar performers for the year um, uh, for, for markets, and so the breadth of what's been driving the market actually has been quite narrow. And if I thumb back through my playbook as a trader, narrow market breadth is usually a precursor to what is actually structurally quite a weak market and one that then is quite vulnerable um, to potential downturns. The big driver, for example, with equities has been AI, artificial intelligence, and what that's meant for companies like NVIDIA, which manufactures the chips out of it, or for businesses like Facebook, which has had an, ex- or Meta, should I say, uh, that's had an extraordinary run, it's like 170% or something. Yeah, something year. crazy. Microsoft, Google, they're all the same. They've had um, a crazy year. A, a lot of that run was on the, on the promise of, okay, we're implementing AI, which stratospherically, um, notice you haven't heard much talk about the metaverse from Facebook recently. It's all AI now. It's yeah, a new trend. Yeah, I forgot about the metaverse. I think everyone has, and it might conveniently stay forgotten while we're in this AI type conversation. Now, the challenge, if that's been the driver for these companies in terms of you buy shares today for what their earnings and growth capacity is going to be over the next two, three, five, ten years' time. Um, if they don't start delivering on um, efficiency gains or productivity gains or profitability jumps on the back of employing AI, 
then maybe they are overvalued and the impact that that surge in interest in those companies had because of their exposure to that particular um, driver AI uh, is, is a major risk. And um, I think from a bearish outlook perspective, I think that's something to consider, not just the macroeconomics of interest rates and inflation, but where some of the drivers have been in markets. And AI, certainly it's enabled the anointed chosen few to run really, really hard. And if they don't deliver, then they're going to get punished in just the same way. Totally. And just to switch that quickly back to macroeconomics, we can't forget consumer sentiment as well. No. If we see greater layoffs, higher unemployment and inflation stubbornly high, that's mm. severely going to affect the consumer. It, it, look, it, it certainly certainly will. And you know, you can see that anecdotally. I mean, in the US, I think in California, you're paying about seven bucks a gallon for gas now, which is... You know, it's up from $3 and change when I was there last time, which is an enormous move. Uh, and, and going back to... The, the, the price of fuel, it is a significant tax, it's an indirect tax in a way because you have to pay for it. You, can, you can't have the yellow light flashing on your car and go, well, yeah, I'm not going to bother filling up there, it's too expensive, you have to fill up. So it does take money out of consumers' discretionary spending. That said, toward the back end of last year, some of the areas, and these are quite surprising, um, and there's a theme, and I, I think, you know, I know we're talking about the bearish case right now specifically for US equities. There's a theme in here about consumer spending and, and consumer optimism, and that's in the travel space. And we've seen, for example, US passport applications go through the roof. Um, we've also seen companies like Carnival Cruises do exceptionally well um, you know, last year. Uh, and we're also seeing the airline sector, I've got a trade running in that at the moment, in Jets, which is the global airlines ETF, really have quite a strong, strong run up as people are starting to spend again on travel, and maybe we're in that era of travel, uh, and notwithstanding demographic changes with baby boomers having the money to, to be able to travel, they're fairly insulated in the large part from, from cost of living rises because they are likely to be more asset rich than, than younger people that may be struggling under cost of living pressures. Um, from a bearish perspective, when that younger generation really do stop spending, which they haven't right now, that's, that is a major risk for earnings for companies. You know, just this morning, admittedly here in Australia, uh, I was having breakfast with a, with a business associate and, and the, the, the cafe restaurant, what do you want to call the joint? Um, and we, we both commented on it was, was full of a lot of very young people. And you just go, I wonder what the average income is from this mob here and what the net worth figure is. Uh, which I'd imagine is both quite low, but they're still outspending. If we see um, that continued high interest rate inflation environment, that is the generation that will stop spending. And because they're spenders now, that will very, very much impact on earnings. Isn't that what they call avocado on toast? That's the, the avocado, house deposit, right? It is the avocado on toast or house deposit conundrum. But they're a demographic that do spend. Uh, and that's what's going a long way towards propping up you know, earnings for a lot of service type businesses. If they do start pulling their horns in because we end up with a protracted inflation problem and higher interest rates, then yeah, that will be a major knock on. Gotcha. Let's take the third and final option. Mm. So this is the boring option, the neutral view. So let's say, mm. for example, that inflation from a macroeconomic perspective just trends as it is, nothing too crazy, chops up and down. We then get in a situation where there's no real surprises to the upside or downside mm. with interest rates. They just kind of stay where they are. What's then the result for the economy right there? Look, I think it's been able to self-fuel itself through this period, which is really sort of a 14 or 15 month period um, where in spite of 
all of the factors that should be driving it into a recession. It hasn't gotten there. Rising interest rates, strong inflation, massive migration from south of the border and various other things uh, of that sort of ilk. It's continued to drive through, uh, which reflects the overall strength of the engine room in the US economy. But at some point, that engine will start to splutter if that period of drawdown uh, of energy uh, within the economy goes on for a, an extended period of time. So I think if we end up with a, a, you know, inflation being very stubborn and interest rates staying where they're at, there is a finite period of time before that then starts to switch into a more bearish outlook. So if you look at the sort of balance of probability, if we start as inflation come down and interest rate come down, we're back to the halcyon days of printing money. If we don't see that, um, and the economic statistics deteriorate, we're going to be in a recession slash soft landing slash a deteriorated bearish outlook. If we see a, an extended period of neutrality, I think that's more likely to cause a downturn in the market and the economy than anything else, simply because that inertia that's in the economy will kind of get drained out. I guess one of the big things we spoke of at the top is that notion of being in a presidential cycle. How could we forget, right? And, and depending on which way the ball bounces, uh, and I suspect uh, certainly at this point in time that we're going to see quite a significant Republican Party win, irrespective um, of, of what the ticket looks like. Um, one of the things that perhaps markets may be looking to have as a as a further fillip or further further impetus for them are the likely tax cuts that you'll see out of a Republican administration, which isn't the case with the Democratic ad administration. And that kind of tax cut may just take a little bit of pressure off business and, and increase that confidence within business and be a boost for earnings on the back end there. I can see that being a, a you know, not a, 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 a little insignificant point, I think, in our outlook here. But certainly, you know, the US property market's been pretty strong. Uh, and if we see a, a little bit of a cutback in interest rates, that's going to run. And again, as we know from Australia, when you've got a healthy property market, um, you know, it creates an awful lot of jobs and that spins out into a lot of other areas within the economy too. So at the moment, like my, 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 my case in terms of how I'm looking at this market is probably somewhere between the bullish and neutral kind of dial at the moment, as opposed to negative, because I think so far the US has done a very, very good job of tiptoeing between the raindrops. But there are factors that may come and influence this outlook insofar as if we see rate cuts and inflation drops away, we're back into a bullish outlook. If this neutral outlook continues for a long time, I think that will send us into a slower economy. Equally, um, if we see the benefits that are perceived from AI that's been a big driver across equity markets in particular fail to materialise this year, where there's an expectation we might start to see some benefit from it, that too may be a factor that drives things lower. But overall, yeah, I think the US has just shown as an economy just how resilient it really is to have been able to get through um, some fairly tricky times. And, and I think rather than just acknowledging how strong that economy is, I think it's really important to acknowledge the, the strength and leadership on the part of the, the US Fed with Jerome Powell because his communication skills and ability to deliver policy has really stewarded that economy through some rather challenging conditions. And there's an awful lot when we look at our Australian outlook that we can take from our friends in the US, and that is that we need to get far better at communicating with the market when it comes to things like interest rates and economic statistics. 
I'd love to see monthly stats in Australia rather than quarterly. Absolutely. And I'd love to see a central banker, which we've yet to have uh, out of our last couple at least, including the incumbent that's got that ability to communicate with markets in a way that's not ambiguous and actually has half a thought pattern behind it in terms of the message you're trying to generate. So I think, you know, we could be in for a, another bumper year. I don't think we'll see 40% on the NASDAQ and 20% on the S&P. Maybe we do see a return to normality and a bullish outlook might be, you know, gains in the order of sort of that sort of, yeah, eight to 15%, which is a more normal range rather than what we've seen this year. Um, But yeah, hopefully the risks of of that being a minus eight or 15% isn't there. And and I think it's important to acknowledge that the reason we don't want that bearish outlook, you know, is quite simple that when you go into a bearish economy, it affects everybody. It affects everybody's pension, for example. It affects everybody's job stability. It affects everybody's outlook and optimism toward the future. And you know, we're all human beings, but we all like to consider that our future is brighter uh, than what today might actually be. Uh, and I think that optimism is something that's certainly driven markets. And and hopefully our outlook is is more towards the optimistic, uh, neutral to optimistic, with more emphasis on optimistic than uh, than a negative outlook, which I really wouldn't want to see. Indeed. Needless to say, it's going to be an interesting year, but you heard it here first. Thank you very much, AB. It's going to be an interesting year. I think November particularly, as we get into that back end, we'll see some volatility in markets. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and that's the sort of times that we really love. And uh, yeah, get your bucket of popcorn and make sure you sit down and watch that one. Bring it on. Thanks, AB. Cheers, Mitch. Anytime. There you have it, guys. Make sure you share this podcast with your friends so that they can get access to this information. Give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.